Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. In the entrepreneurial space, many people are always looking to do something. How can you create something new? How can you have a, a product, a service that you can deliver to people. But there's another side of entrepreneurship that we're going to dig into a little bit, and that is connecting people to other people. Can you be the bridge between what people want and what people need? That's a service in and of itself. Our guest today has done both. He created something that he did the work and he provided a service. And then after selling that business, he then created the bridge between the provider and the consumer. So we're going to talk about both of those today. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. Appreciate you listening today. I want to give a quick shout out to uh, C-Suite Radio, my wonderful platform that distributes the podcast for you. Check out the C-Suite Network. Uh, there's lots of great things going on in and about it for entrepreneurs. It's not just podcasts. It's a whole community that's been created of podcasters networkers, business owners that come together regularly, and also network together, a networking uh, organization that started in Phoenix and now has gone national. Go to ntevents.net and you can find all of the events that they do weekly. They do two to three events per day online where you can meet business owners, entrepreneurs, partners, clients. Everything is available to you. So go to ntevents.net. But now I want to jump into it. Brian Clayton built a business in the landscaping field, built it up to $10 million, uh, probably was not a straight trajectory up. We're going to learn a little bit about that. Sold the business. And it's always interesting to hear how you go about selling a business. How do you get your business to a place where somebody wants it and how do you transition? And then built another business, Green Pal, where he is the, the Uber of landscaping. He has consumers, he has providers, and he brings them together nationwide through Green Pal. Brian Clayton, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me on, man. You're very welcome. I want to jump into this conversation, and I always like to learn the entrepreneurial path, and the listeners always want to know because we're at various stages. Some people are just starting. Some people are transitioning. Some people are a little bit stuck. What, what was your first entrepreneurial thought? Was this, were you born this way? Oh, man. So I was drugging the entrepreneurship, kicking and screaming by my father when he forced me to mow the neighbor's yard for 20 bucks. Uh, it was a hot summer day and he came up to my room, interrupted me playing Nintendo and said, hey, listen, we got a job to do. We're going to go mow the neighbor's grass. We made $20, split it. And ever since then, I was an entrepreneur. I've never had a job. I've never worked for anybody else. And uh, actually that lawn mowing business, by the end of that summer, I had like five or 10 customers that I was mowing grass for. And I just stuck with that business all through high school as a way to make money. And then all through college, I put myself through school. I graduated college and I figured out, okay, well, I'm gonna take a pay cut if I go get a job somewhere. So let's just double down on this landscaping company. And over a 15 year period of time, I grew that business from just myself and a push mower to over 150 employees, $10 million a year in revenue, one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee. And uh, that company was acquired in 2013 by one of the largest uh, landscaping organizations in the country. And so look, growing that business from zero to 10 million, I learned a lot. I learned, uh, learned how to become a manager, how to become a leader, how to create systems, processes around making a business happen, uh, how to market, all of these things just learned just through a school of hard knocks. 
and, uh, and then applied all of those lessons that I learned to my second business, GreenPal, which is like the Uber for lawn mowing. If, you, if you're a homeowner and you need your grass cut, you just jump on our website, our mobile app, and you'll get hooked up with a great service provider in less than a minute. Interesting. Now, going back to, 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 be, to the beginning, one, you, you grew up in Tennessee, summers in Tennessee, um, hot, muggy, um, and, and a push mower, right? Yeah. And, and you said you did it with your dad, that he said, hey, we're going to go mow the lawn. Um, was this a manager worker relationship? Was he doing one thing and you doing another? How did that uh, dynamic work on that first job? Yeah. So the first go around, it, it was me, uh, it was me weed eating and him and him mowing. And then uh, and after we got done, we had a little, little uh, quality control walk around. So he, he would point out all the stuff that I missed and, and, and it took us like three hours to mow this yard. Uh, but he taught me, okay, hey, listen, if you want to make something of yourself, if you want to uh, chart your own course, this is the best way to do it is to start a business. He wasn't an entrepreneur, but he wanted to teach me work ethic. And this is the way he did it. He also taught me quality, doing a job right, doing it right the first time. And so it, that, but that was the only one that he did with me. After that, it was all me. And I just love the idea, like, I just love the idea of, of, of working as hard as I wanted to buy the stuff that I wanted. Like, that was just the early, like, thrust around keeping going with that business. And it just stuck with me ever since. And the, the first, that, that first one, again, coming back to it. So your dad, um, he was not an entrepreneur. He was not in, was, was he even in landscaping? Was this no, just no. a I mean, that had an ugly lawn and he did like, his own yard oh, work. And, yeah, he did his own yard work. And, and I, and I would help him sometimes with that, but uh, he knew that was a way he could, he could get my butt uh, off the couch and put me to work. And so that it was like more of an accessibility thing. And uh, so he didn't, he didn't anticipate for me to be in the landscaping business my entire life. Uh, but Hey, that's just how it worked out. Very cool. I, I know growing up, my, my parents and um, not entrepreneurs, definitely uh, multiple masters. So they were education people and, and, and clinical people. Uh, and they told me to mow the lawn. And they told me to mow my own, our own lawn, which of course, being a lazy grade schooler, I was like, I don't want to mow the lawn. And so yeah. then they paid the neighbor kid to mow the lawn. <laughs> Who knows if they would have paid me to mow the lawn, if it would have spurred something within me, but they paid the neighbor kid. It was like, and then I was like, well, I'm not going to do it for free if you're going to pay him. Yeah. Right? Well, the thing <laughs> about the lawn mowing business is there's some fundamentals that exist in that type of business that are true and fundamental to all business. And so uh, it's funny, like uh, lawn mowing is a lot of times an entry point into entrepreneurship for a lot of people uh, who don't necessarily stick with it like I did, but it's, a, it's something that kind of gets them into the idea of owning their own business. Barriers to entry are low. A lot of the same fundamentals around customer service and a focus on the customer and marketing and hustle and just the ability to adapt and just put out fires all day. Are, are, are like like native to the lawn mowing business and, and that can help like school you on how to how to start your own business in any field really and so for me I stuck with it but a lot of people it's like it's kind of like their gateway totally you don't know how many people I've interviewed on this show that started either lawn mowing or a paper route like that right like the, the common thread across people is that that was the first way and it wasn't entrepreneurial it was getting cash in your pocket it was knocking on your neighbor's door, or um, in many cases, it's you're mowing your lawn or you're mowing the neighbor's lawn. And then somebody drives down the street and they're like, hey, do you have room for other people? How did you grow? Like, was it you got your street and then it branched out? Or how did you get new customers when you were really just doing the work and you were a young kid? 
Great question. Uh, in those early days, you know, in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we didn't have access to podcasts or YouTube or, or blog posts to teach you how to do this stuff. So a lot of it was just trial and error on just sheer hustle. You know, the first 100 customers I got by passing out flyers all over the neighborhoods I was mowing grass in. And then uh, as you're growing one of these lawn mowing businesses, you, you want to try to layer on uh, employees and, and crews and trucks. And so going from like one crew, uh, really going from just yourself to your first employee is like one of the hardest growth moments in, in that type of business, because you start to understand through trial and error that this is more about unit economics and it's about selling hours of the day and less about anything else. And so you have to understand, okay, this is how much I bring in per hour. And this is how much I'm going to pay out. And so I, you know, learned that the hard way. And that, that's a hard thing to do to go from your first, you know, just you as a solo operator to your first employee. Uh, took me like a year or two to figure that out. And then as time went on, um, <clears throat> I grew the business from just a residential business to one that did a lot of commercial work, restaurants, banks, apartments, uh, office parks, things of that nature. And literally what I would do is I'd have myself uh, and like two other crews mowing people's yards all over Nashville. And then I would run one crew and I would have my people mowing the yard and then I would do cold calling while sitting in the truck. And so I did that for like two years. I would like do like a hundred phone calls a day while overseeing people mowing grass. So I could get like the bigger contracts, the bigger, the bigger clientele to take my business to the next level. And this kind of repeated that over and over again until we got over a million, two million in revenue and then went through another growth uh, period where I started to understand, okay, I have to create systems and processes in this business to make it run or else it's just going to fall apart. And that took a long time to figure out, but luckily I did. And, and I uh, just kept rinsing and repeating until I got up to $10 million in revenue. And at that point it becomes an ideal acquisition target for a bigger company. That makes sense. And, and I'm sure you weren't doing $20 lawns to get up to 10 million in revenue. You had to branch out and you had to expand your offering. And I want to talk to you. You said a couple things really interesting. One, getting up to 100, 100 customers. You probably had to have employees there. There were probably people looking for other services. How did you trans to make the transformation from lawn care, specifically mowing, to a landscaping business? Because they're, they're both landscaping businesses, but one has a whole different connotation in terms of what you do to serve your clients. Yeah, that's, that's a tough part of, of that business, really any other business. Like, how do you, how do you uh, branch out into other things you're not necessarily comfortable doing? One thing I did is, is I would try to do as many projects as I could for my existing clientele at a very, uh, almost like zero profitability, just so I could learn. And that's one thing I coach entrepreneurs on today. I do some free mentoring and coaching in Nashville as a hobby. And, you know, I try to get them to understand, like, look, like, you're going to have to work for free almost for months uh, to learn how to do and execute this thing. And like really and truly like somebody is doing you a favor by letting you do that landscaping project or that pool or whatever it is. So you can learn how the dynamics of that business works and you're going to do it at like very thin or almost zero profit margin, just so you can like understand how this stuff works. Cause you have all of this, these assumptions that you haven't validated. And so that's how I did it. I, you know, for a long time I, I would try to like, just, just, just get like, 
enter into those markets by way of outserving my, my competitors, having better prices than my competitors. And then as I understood, okay, this is like the recipe for how we do uh, this kind of project. I would document that and I would understand, okay, like this is how we do it repeatedly over and over again. And this is how we layer in our profit margin onto that. But the only way to like get here is just to get started and get, get started on, on the, uh, your first couple of jobs so you can understand how this stuff works and, and do it almost for free so you can like almost like get, go to school for free. Right. And you just talked a lot about, about systems and profit margins and, and all the business terms that we all have to learn as we go. How did that, how did that happen? Where was the transition from lawnmower to, all right, now I'm almost like an office guy because I've got to map this all out. I've got crews. I got to make sure that they're in the right place at the right time. I got to make sure that the, the, uh, the quality's right. Even though if you can't be on every scene, um, with, with a, a number of crews out there, when did it turn into, I'm running a business here that's going to grow and I need to systematize from doing the work and managing your crews. Yeah. I'd love to tell you that I had this like plan and like, I just worked <laughs> a plan. Right. And I, that, that I just like eased into that. But the reality was, is I woke up one morning and a uh, payroll was 20 grand that week. And I, and I had a thousand dollars in the bank. And uh, this was like uh, year five into the business. And I was like, holy crap, what have I done? Um, I'm owed all this money. Uh, I have 10 guys that need to get paid. I don't have it. Um, what am I going to do? And how did I get here? And I started this really trying to start to back into, okay, the, like the, the root cause of all of these issues. And uh, a, a business mentor of mine at the time beat into my head the difference between being in your business and being on your business. And I, and I really was just seven days a week running that business in it. It was organized chaos every day. I would show up to the shop at 5.30 in the morning, get the crews going, put out all the fires, and then all day long I'd spend on the phone like dealing with upset customers and trying to sell more jobs. And every single day was just chaos. And no, day, no two days were alike. And, and I started to understand like that simple concept of being in your business versus on your business is, is what got me out of that, uh, got me out of that, that rut of understanding, okay, yeah, maybe Monday through Friday, you're in it. Cause you just, you have to hold it together. You got, you have to like keep the fires put out, but like Saturday and Sunday you get on it. And so what is on it? Like you develop the processes around, this is how we, we quote new jobs. This is how we price new work. And this is how we understand that these are our, our inputs to what it costs us to do business. And that's a standard thing. And we need to do that over and over and over again. And then this is how we do quality control and the work that we do. It's a standard process that happens every single time. And then this is like the standard operating procedure for how you, when you show up to a client's property, the checklist of things that you do every single time. And it's like, these things are, uh, are not hard work, they're difficult work. It, like it, it requires mental power to like go through these things and document these things. And I wasn't doing them. And that's how I got into the trouble of waking up and I couldn't cover payroll. It was like uh, the sign and like the debt to pay of years of just shooting from the hip. And so I had to figure out a way to, to make a system, make, make a business that runs on systems and one that runs smoothly and not that's gonna get me in trouble and, and cause me to go out of business. 
So it was one of those things I was forced to do. I was forced to like have that day of reckoning, but luckily I, I had a, I had a mentor at the time that, that exposed me to some new ways of thinking. Um, and this was before the day of YouTube and podcasts and blog posts, you know, you can access these ideas, uh, you know, at your, on your mobile phone now, but back then it was almost like a, like a mysterious secret. Yeah. I mean, there's so much information now. There's so many different podcasts like this, where you can come and be like, have that epiphany because you listen to it. You were doing this by probably talking to talking to people that you knew that were in your life. But also I want to talk a little bit about the, the, I guess what's popping in my head is I'm picturing you going door to door, picking up, you know, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks, getting checks in the mail. This, there was no automated auto pay. There was no um, go to my website and, and pay there on your credit card. You had to go and collect. How did you uh, make sure that people were paying, revenues were coming in because you were doing the work and then probably had to wait because like me, you sit there and you pay your bills and you forget, ah, oh, I forgot to pay the lawn guy again, right? Yeah. And, and you write it out. How did, how did you make sure that people were paying? Yeah, that's the collections and accounts receivable, you wouldn't think is a big part of this business. It really is because the, the reality is the lawn guy is like the last to get paid. And so, and so like staying on top of your cash flow is the difference between having a good business and going out of business. And I learned that the hard way in the early days. One was like the first hundred customers, uh, no two of them looked alike and no two of them wanted the same things and no two of them were built on the same intervals and no two of them were willing to sign up for the same type of uh, cadence of service. And so like literally having to learn to say no and only bring people into my system, my standard way of doing business was something that took me three years to figure out was that, okay, this is how we do business here. We are the best lawn mowing service you can hire in, in, in this city. And here's why. And here's how we do business. When you sign up, you know, we do an assessment and we, we identify the things that you want to get done and we lay out a plan for them. And then we sign you up for a maintenance program and it's billed on this day and it's due on this day. And if you don't pay, then we, then we have to discontinue service. Like creating all of those processes around a, a routine uh, that we do and we offer as a standardized product or service to all of our customers was something that took me a long time to figure out. The reality is, is when you're starting a business from scratch, you almost have to take what you can get. And so the first $100,000 in revenue, you're kind of like cobbling it together, hand-to-hand -hand combat. You're bringing in every, every dollar you can. Uh, but, the, but then as time goes on, you can kind of graduate towards a more orderly, uh, systemized way of doing business. And that's, that's what what I did. And, and that's what, and so then I, I got to understand, okay, this is how we manage cash flow. This is how we, we bill our clientele. And this is the, the, uh, the expectations we manage around what happens if they don't pay us on time. It took a long time to figure that out. And it, and it also had to make some hard decisions around uh, firing some customers that were slow to pay me. And I, I love that you, that you brought that up because, and, and you just said that this is how we do business as business owners, entrepreneurs, just in society, we've all been taught the customer's always right, right? They do what the customer wants, but that doesn't work for business. How did you personally marry the two, keeping your customers happy, but doing so in a systemized fashion? Yeah, I think a lot of times in, in business and in life in general, we have this or and it's and. So the customer is 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 the center of the focus and is like we have to be customer centric, 
and the customer is not always right. So the customer is always the customer. But at the end of the day, you have to understand who are you serving? Who is your ideal prospect? Who is your ideal customer? And that's who you're building your business on top of. There's some customers that aren't going to be a good fit. And when you identify that, it's time to, to have a necessary ending and, and almost try to help them find somebody else uh, to serve their needs. But you're never going to build a successful company or successful business trying to be all things to all people. And that was one thing I learned the hard way. Because, like I just said, you're trying to get every dollar you can in the front door. And I think every business goes through that growth period where it's like, okay, I'm no longer beholden to every dollar. I have a couple hundred thousand in revenue. Now I'm going to start identifying these are my sweet spot customers um, who are the most profitable for me, who I can outserve and, and uh, do better f uh, for them than my competition is doing. And this is the use case I'm going to build my, my company on top of and not just get scattered and not have a strong value proposition to anyone because you're trying to serve everyone. Makes, makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And so now you've got a systematized business. You've got, you know, 10 million in revenue. You've got things working. You know, you probably have multiple different business lines in terms of customers. Did you sort of sit at home one day and say, all right, it's time to, to, to monetize this thing. It's time to do something else. Or did people start knocking on your door? When, how did that transition into sale come from? Because you were probably still working on the business day to day, making sure it was still growing. Why sell and how did that come about? Yeah, it's, uh, for me, it was a personal decision. Uh, so you're, you're running a $10 million landscaping company. You got 150 people, 80 trucks going out every day. I mean, I had three mechanics that worked for me in that business that like just, just fixing trucks and lawnmowers. It was a hell of an operation. And every day it's like, it's everything you can do just to keep that running smoothly. Even if you have really good systems, you're as the as the CEO as the business owner you're, you're just trying to make sure everything runs smoothly and so how do you introduce this notion of of an exit into all of that um, all of that activity and so it wasn't one that I like made a three-year plan and then executed against that plan ideally if you have a company that's you know doing five ten million dollars in revenue and you want to sell it ideally you create an exit plan and you execute against that plan that's not how it happened for me. I, I had a personal decision. For me, I, I started to understand about myself that like the, my businesses were an extension of me and they were, are the thing that causes me to grow and level up as a, as a human being. And I had reached a point of a plateau running that company. Uh, I, I had built it to be one of the biggest landscaping companies in our market. And for me to get to the next level, I would have had to go regional and then like open up a new branch in Atlanta and one in Charlotte. And I really didn't have the desire to do that. I had been in it 15 years and I'm not always motivated by money. Uh, I'm motivated by challenges and, and goals and, and, and accomplishing new things. And so I understood like, okay, I've reached the necessary ending with this business. It's time for me to explore the idea of, of selling it and uh, hired a, a good, a good broker that, that kind of walked me through the process and uh, became the, became to learn really quickly that I hadn't built this company to sell. I had built it just to be the best in our market, but not necessarily uh, one that could be gobbled up by a bigger outfit. And so we had to reverse engineer a lot of things in, in place that we didn't have in place. So from the moment I made the decision to the moment of like wire transfer was over two years. And so, you know, a lot of people look at, oh, look at this person built and sold this business. They don't really understand kind of the gravity of how challenging and difficult that can be. But if you can like start with an exit plan 
um, and then work against that, it can help ease it. And that, that's a perfect transition to GreenPal at uh, www.yourgreenpal.com, where you now built a business rather than doing the work, you built a business being in the middle, bringing the workers to the customer. So you've got your landscapers on one side, you've got your customers on, on the other. You put the is this something in your head and secondarily did you do what you just said did you have a plan worked against as you built this business with all the learnings you got from the first one yeah um i'd love to tell you that you know i, I was able to <laughs> approach it with a great plan and just everything went smooth i learned a few things uh the hard way uh running that uh, starting the second company so the first thing i i learned was like when i sold my first business i kind of like retired i i didn't have to go do something and i learned real quick that that didn't make me happy i learned real quick that I love to be in the game. I love to be in the trenches. I love to be a part of something bigger than me. And so I had a yearning to start my second company within months of selling my first one. And so for me, like I, I was looking for ideas. I was looking for, okay, what's the next thing going to be? And, uh, and the idea for GreenPal was just clear. I saw what Uber and Lyft were doing for ride sharing. I saw what Airbnb was doing for accommodations. And so it was clear, like this thing needed to exist because I, I, for 15 years, I saw every day how difficult it was for homeowners to just get a good lawn mowing service. You wouldn't think it's hard, but it actually is. Running my last company, we would get 20 or 30 phone calls a day. Somebody, hey, will you just come cut my grass uh, for 30 bucks? And we didn't do those types of residential services anymore. We had kind of graduated into large landscape maintenance contracts. And so I saw every day, like, it was just a lot of demand. There was people out here running around with lawnmowers that wanted to go cut these people's yards, but they couldn't connect. They couldn't find each other. There was no smooth, standardized way for them to do business. So the idea was there. Uh, what I under-indexed on, what I didn't understand was the technological challenge of, of executing a product that would, that, would, that would bring that to life. And then also the differences between like running a, a traditional analog business and literally inventing a new product because this didn't exist and it still doesn't. It's, 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 it was something new. We were on the outer edge of, of anything that had ever been done before, which is push a button, get the lawn mode. And so it took years for us to figure out, okay, this is how you, this is how you develop a, a technical product. This is how you write code. This is how you uh, uh, design software. And then on top of all of that, like managing and, and finessing the nuances between a marketplace of connecting buyers and sellers, a lot of times their desires don't align. And so you're trying to strike these balances between the two and you're trying to uh, figure out the economics, uh, how to make that work for everybody. It took us years to figure that stuff out. But I, luckily I had two co-founders that were just as crazy as I was and, and we just stuck it out. We just, we just kept putting in the hours, six, seven days a week, uh, li personally living on as little as we could so we could invest every dime back into the business. And now here we are six years later, you know, we have 200,000 homeowners that use it, uh, a $20 million run rate. And so it's going well now, but the first three or four years was, was very much an exercise of faith. I bet because I mean, you, weren't, you weren't a technology guy and you've got now three lines of business. You've got the end user, the person who needs a lawn mode. You've got the 
the lawnmower, they both need to find you. So you've got to market in two different directions and you have to build the thing in the middle. Where did you, um, how did you diversify the time or divide the time from marketing to the, the work on improving the website, getting the scale, doing all those things? Because you can't have the money to build the website unless you want to invest it personally without the customers on both sides. Without the, the website, you've got no customers. How did, how did you manage all of that to get a viable product where you consistently had to build the technology in the middle or else you didn't have the revenue on either side? Yeah, it's, and, and, and the other thing is, is that you can spend all your time building the, the technology and the product and then nobody want to use it. Right. So it's, it's this finesse and it's, this, and it's this balance between those three things. We, we followed a book uh, uh, called The Startup Owner's Manual by an author named Steve Blank. And one of the heuristics in that book is the concept of get, keep, grow. And so Git is like, how are we acquiring uh, our, our early initial users through any means necessary? We acquired the first several hundred that to, to try the product just through passing out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee. But you gotta spend like a third of your time on getting people to try to use the thing. Keep is, is what is the product? Okay, what, like how is it solving the, everybody that's using it, solving their problems? Uh, how, how, does it work? Is there, is there functional integrity? Is it easy to use? Um, is, does it work reliably? Uh, what, are the, what are the things that go into building the, the, the product and so it has, you know, so it's sticky? That's all keep. And then grow is like how do we leverage all of this to get more? And you really have to spend like a third of your time in each bucket. And you can, you know, for us, we chopped it up days of the week. Uh, just, you know, we would look Monday and Tuesday, we'd focus on acquisition and getting people to use it. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we would work solely on the product. And then the rest of the week, we would work on leveraging all of those things to, to try to get more customers. And that was a good little rinse and repeat uh, process that got us through the early days. In fact, we still follow that methodology to this day, not by days of the week because we have a team of 23 people now and we have this stuff delegated out, but we still like go back to that. Like these are, these are the three things that really only matter and you have to constantly be returning to working on all three in those, all three of those buckets. And a million dollars in employees, uh, strong, nice work on that. When, when you, <laughs> you had mentioned, <laughs> Um, that in order to grow the prior landscaping business, you would have had to go to Charlotte, go to Atlanta, um, you know, go to Louisville, go to the other cities around you if you wanted to do it. In, in your current business, GreenPal, it's national by definition, right? It's national whether you want it to be or not because it's a website and people can find it. They can do a search and it can show up even if you're not doing marketing in that way. How, did, how do you go national almost immediately? Like you're doing door hangers in Nashville and you drive people to the website, but what if someone calls you from Atlanta? What if someone calls you from Phoenix and they're like, hey, I need, a, um, you know, I need my lawn mowed. How do you go national or how did you go national because you had to just the way the business is built and, and the internet is built? Yeah, that's, that's, a, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a trap that we kind of fell into when we first launched the business is that, okay, yes, we're not bound by geography anymore and we can serve uh, anyone uh, in, the, in the United States with an internet connection. And that was kind of like one of the, uh, the seductive things about the idea. And then what we learned really quickly was that there, there, there's a critical mass of buyers and sellers that you have to build up in a local geographical area for this thing to even work. And we started to learn to understand really quickly when somebody signs up, they don't, they don't want one price, they want five and they want them quick. 
They want them in like minutes, not hours, not days. That's, that's the value proposition that we're delivering. Um, you know, and so we understood that we just through trial and error, like, okay, we almost have to, for a while, say no to everybody other than the people in, that are, that are in one market. And then we got to focus on how we're going to make that work. And then we can roll it out to other cities. And so for literally two years, we, we had to have the website in such a way that if you were outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and you signed up, we would send you an email said, Hey, listen, thanks for, thanks for trying out green pal. But unfortunately we don't have any service providers nearby you yet, but uh, hang tight. We're, we're, we'll be in your city soon. And it was, it sucked because we, we were, we were having to say no to people, but we didn't know, we didn't have the product. We didn't have, we didn't have the, uh, the reliability of, of it flushed out yet. And so for two years, we just spent, all only in Nashville, uh, like hand cranking this thing, getting service providers to try the platform, listening to their feedback, baking in their feedback to making it better, meeting with every homeowner that we could to get feedback from them to understand, okay, this is how we can make the product better. And then on top of all that, understanding, okay, this is how we can get enough critical mass users on both sides of the transaction to where we can kick off the flywheel. And then once we understood that, we, we launched our second city, uh, Tampa, Florida, and then Atlanta, uh, the, the, the fourth year. And then we developed a, a rollout strategy of, okay, we're launching a new city every month now. Uh, and so now we are nationwide, but we had to learn the hard way that to build these, these kind of local networks, we got to build them from the ground up city by city. It's fantastic. Congratulations on the success of both businesses and, and- you know, building two businesses like you have, one up to 10 million, this one's up to 20 million and growing. What's keeping you motivated? What's keeping you going right now? We're, I'm sure there's people who are probably knocking on your door saying, all right, we want to buy this thing already. What's keeping you and your business partners excited about where GreenPal can go and serving more and more customers? Yeah, I, you know, it's, that's, that's a great question because a lot of times as in, we're in business, we're motivated by money and in we're and that's the, the, like our North star. And I'm not saying money's bad, money's great, but you, to make it uh, and to be happy, you really all have to be motivated by something other than money. And so for me, it's a couple things. One, love winning. I love, I love being a part of something that's prospering and growing. It's like my forcing function to level up every day. I'm not the same person I was seven years ago when I started this business. And so that's like an altruist, like that's like an internal thing for me that, that I love about it. The second thing is it, it, I, I, I have the scars for running a landscaping business. It's, the reality is it's, it's damn hard to run a lawn mowing business. Like it's hard to get customers. It's hard to get people to pay you on time. It's hard to be, make it profitable every day is just hard work. So I, I understand that. And so our platform helps make those people's lives just a little bit better. They don't have to worry about, uh, if they're going to have enough work to do next week because we give them more work than they could ever want. They don't have to worry about if they're going to get paid. They don't have to, do, to spend their nights and weekends doing bookkeeping and, and, and doing paperwork because we handle all that for them. So for me, like our platform, like that's why we do what we do. Like we, we, we like make these people's lives better and give them a platform to plug into where all they have to do is work hard and they can make sustainable and, and meaningful income. That's a lot of fun for me. And like, you know, when I die, I hope that that's going to be my legacy is that, okay, I helped, I helped 5,000 people start a business and make two or $300,000 a year. And they never would have been able to do it if it wasn't for the technology that I was a part of. That's awesome. And thank you for what you're doing for small business owners and creating small business owners out there. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how 
um, how a technology service that none of us can conceive of can create business owners. And, and there's lots of different industries and you've done it in landscaping. Last question before we wrap up here, living in a you know, COVID contactless world and people don't want to interview five landscapers or five lawnmowers and coming to their house and, and masks and everything. How have you marketed in this environment? It's probably really beneficial um, in, in, for your business to have the technology and not having to meet the people and, and serving both sides of customers and, and the business owners. How has your business changed because of the contactless world taking advantage of it? Yeah, it's uh, the, the short answer is we just got flat out lucky that, that we weren't in the crosshairs of this thing. You know, if you're in anything related to travel, hospitality, restaurants, my heart goes out to you from one business owner to another. Uh, luckily, our business has grown through this. You know, Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, Instacart, these, these companies are just crushing it. And we're kind of riding the, the wave of that, of the contactless ordering. You know, before COVID, we didn't really punch up the idea of you don't have to talk to anybody, you don't have to meet with anybody. Matter of fact, we kind of had our product uh, positioned in such a way where we encouraged that. We wanted the service provider to meet with the homeowner on the first lawn mowing to make sure everything went well because that face-to-face -face meeting is, is, is important to managing expectations and to make sure that the whole thing has a, everybody has a good experience. We would punch that up in the product workflows. After COVID, we began to realize really quickly that A, people didn't want to do that, and B, this was actually an, an opportunity for us to punch up in our value proposition contactless ordering, like invisible commerce almost. You you can literally come on the website of the mobile app, and in a minute you have five lawn mowing services to choose from, choose from, hire one, they come mow today. And like your, your, your payment method is, is, is billed and you not even have to speak with them and it just happens magically. And so the ability to conduct all of that without a face-to-face -face meeting is now uh, we've, we've integrally made that part of our value proposition where it was one that we kind of didn't ever like punch up because it, people weren't really, really thinking about it. And I think that's here to stay and it's probably going to be here to stay for us for a while. It's like people want to have a way to do business without meeting face-to-face. And while, while it's, it's difficult circumstances that a lot of people are going through, I think one of the key takeaways and, and why I love doing the show and why people actually listen to it is the, all right, how can I apply what I just heard to my business? And you were able to do it by seeing what other businesses do. And hopefully others can, can now model what, what you and your partners have done at, at GreenPal. So thanks for the time. Thanks for the information. Congratulations on everything you've done. Everyone go to... Um, yourgreenpal.com and uh, check out the site. They've got snow removal too. So it's not just lawn mowing. We're, some places it's starting to get cold. We're probably a few months off from snow, but getting closer. Brian Clayton, thanks so much for your time and, and your knowledge today. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business, at www.freebookfromadam.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.